Well, good morning, Rick. I've been looking forward to an opportunity to dive into some questions from the Regifting series. But first, how are you doing this morning? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. I'm enjoying the snow right now as a fresh change of pace. It's it's it been fun for me. It was pretty peaceful last night. Although yeah. it was strange driving to church in the morning in the fall and driving home in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little different. Although this morning I was I dropped Jack off at the uh, at the high school and I was enjoying fishtailing a little bit uh, as I was driving through the through the icy roads. That was fun. Accidentally or on purpose. Accidentally on purpose. Welcome to the Church's Messy Podcast. Today, Pastor Rick and I enjoy answering your questions that came out of the Regifting series. Well, it's hard to believe that not only is winter here, but we've completed the six-week regifting series already. It sure seems like that went by quickly. I know, I know. I, uh, I, for for me, it seemed like it like it flew by. Uh, we looked forward to it for a long time, and I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I've really appreciated some of the feedback we've gotten from folks as how they're processing. Um, processing through what we covered in this series. And now we get to uh, answer some follow-up questions that people, uh, they want to know, hey, I, I got more more questions, or this wasn't clear to me, or okay, how do I take this and apply this to this situation? So hopefully this is a really uh, engaging conversation uh, for folks who are listening and helpful to them. Um, thank you through this, through some of these questions have been helpful for me. So I'm, yeah, my... Uh, my attitude is, uh, I'm, I'm pretty high. I'm pretty, not high. Wait a second. <laughs> Clarify that, Maybe please. I have not had enough coffee. I am not high. I'm, 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 I'm high on optimism. I'm excited <laughs> for this, this conversation. I've been looking forward to this. Um, I pass on grass. <laughs> All right, good to know. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into questions, shall we? Let's do it. And how about we start off with with the first one with someone who just was seeking a little bit more clarification on the use of the box every week. Yes. Um, the 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 kind of fun gimmick of of bringing out the box and different forms of wrapping paper. Sure. And then sure. finishing up with the safe at the end. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. the behind the scenes planning and the so, reason for using that? The box represented. The box was us. And the rep and the wrapping was different ways that we could present ourselves. And each week, the way the box was presented was the antithesis or the opposite of what we were trying to focus on. And so, uh, like the one where we were talking about love, we were we had the box wrapped up with barbed wire. Mm -hmm. And the final week, when we talked about leading with weakness and getting honest about vulnerability, we actually had a safe on the stage. And I walked over uh, to the to the safe and I said. A religious way of thinking is opposite of the gospel. We have to present ourselves as strong. We have to present uh, ourselves uh, in such a way that we have it all together, and we have to keep all of our weaknesses and insecurities locked inside. And so the safe was a representation of what not to be. And uh, a gospel mindset is following Jesus, following the example of a guy like the Apostle Paul, who's saying, hey, here are my inadequacies, here are ways that I'm weak, here are ways that maybe I even look foolish. I don't have to look like I'm strong. I don't have to look like I have it all together. Um, I'm safe and secure in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we were we were trying to use that as imagery to contrast in a fun way, uh, in, um, in in a way that pe 
people's curiosity to help them lean in. And and I imagine that there were times that it was clear to some and other times that maybe it wasn't quite clear to others. So I'm grateful for this opportunity to answer that question. Of the six weeks, did you have one particular theme that was your favorite? One that, that just preached easier for you than others or maybe one you just enjoyed a little more? I enjoyed all of them, but none of them were easy to preach. Mm. And the reason that none of them were easy to preach is because they all messed with me Mm -hmm. and they all exposed areas in me as I'm preparing of how I'm out of step with Jesus. And I want to be in step with him, um, but I'm not quite like him. And, and I desperately need him, and I'm so grateful um, that uh, my acceptability is not based at all on my moral or religious performance. Man, uh, that came just kind of screaming through to me personally in this message here. So they were all challenging. Mm. They were all very challenging to prepare for and preach because of the personal process that I was going through. Not because of discomfort with the material, but just mm-hmm. the my personal kind of growth process through sure. preparing. Well, thank you for being transparent about that. Maybe one more just kind of overarching question before we dive into some of the questions that were sent in was, do you want to speak a little bit to why we selected this series and particularly to make it a series that we really went uh, kind of all in on with with adding curriculum for small groups and encouraging uh, people to really not just come and and hear the message on the weekend, but Mm -hmm. to really work at applying it in their regular week as well. Absolutely. I I think, in my experience, you know, I was born on a Sunday. My my mom had me uh, man, I am misspeaking all over the place. I almost said my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I was born on a Sunday. My mom had me in church the very next Sunday. I <laughs> do mi- not confuse your I, wife I, and your mother. I, just I know, speaking do, as a woman for women everywhere. <laughs> do not do that. Um, I've I've missed very few Sundays. Uh, I, I've I've had the privilege of being raised in a local church my whole life. Um, I've had the privilege of more than the oh, more than two decades of getting to serve in pastoral ministry. I love the church. I love people at church. I love everything about about uh, living in the gospel. Um, but one of the things that I've recognized, I, I think you see this in the gospel, especially the way that Jesus uh, engaged highly informed, um, highly educated religious leaders, is that there is a gravitational pull to reduce our engagement with God to information. Mm -hmm. And um, part of this series is to remind us that maturity is not measured by how much we know. Knowledge is incredibly important. Truth, monumentally important. Mm -hmm. But maturity is not measured by how much we know. Maturity is measured by our love, our love of God and our love of others as defined by Jesus. Um, And so it's it's not an emotional thing but it engages every aspect of who we are, including our emotional selves. And it's, for whatever reason, it's just a human nature thing that part of, that it's part of what needs to be redeemed by Jesus is that we can take the significant aspects of ourselves, put them on the shelf and only focus on information. Information, absolutely indispensable. We need it, but it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. It alone will not lead to transformation. Yep. It is taking it is taking that truth and applying it to all of who we are. And so this message series was an attempt to do that. We want to love God with our minds. We want to love God with our hearts. We want to love God with all of who we are, and we want to love others well. That can never be reduced to information. And so this message series was really about leaning into that. And Jesus is an incredible example of that. And so um, 
that's why we that's why we did what we did. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Dallas Willard talks often about that the goal of being a spiritually mature person is not information about Jesus Christ, but transformation into people who are more and more like him. Yeah. And let me just say to anybody out there listening who who feels like that we're downgrading truth or downgrading information. We are not. We absolutely have to have that, but that alone is not enough. It's mm-hmm. how we respond to that. Mm-hmm. It's integrating that into our life, and that's where that's where transformation comes. And so, um, truth, information, absolutely important, cannot be only that. Mm. Well said. Well, let's dive into some of the specifics. We had a, a question that came out of the message that was titled "Into the Borderlands," that mm-hmm. really focused on on identifying healthy limitations in that's our right. life yeah. and, and living in that. And this person asks uh, that she, uh, she says that she'd be interested in hearing more examples of common limitations people come up against in life, and how the gospel speaks freedom into these limits. Okay, this is a good question. Um, and so as I, I sat down, I was thinking about this and uh, began to list out some ideas. And I want to invite you to to riff with me on this. But first off, just what are some of the limitations we have? I'm sure that I did not list them all, but here are a few that came to mind. Uh, we have limitations with time. We have limitations with money. We have limitations with energy. We have limitations with physical abilities. Uh, we have limitations with emotional bandwidth. Um, don't hear this next one harshly. Just just hear this. You're like, yeah, I, absolutely. We have limitations with our intelligence, mm-hmm. or we have limitations with our mental capacity or aptitudes. Mm-hmm. And so think about, there could be two people who are equally intelligent, but they have very different aptitudes. One might be phenomenal at music and the other's phenomenal at math and their aptitudes don't transfer to the other areas. Some people are highly mechanical. Some people are are great with abstract concepts or highly intellectual, Um, but we just have limitations. Mm -hmm. We have limitations there. We have limitations with our strengths, and I don't mean our physical strengths. I mean just the different kinds of things uh, that we're good at. We have limitations with our spiritual gifting. Every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve his purposes and his people. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things that the Holy Spirit empowers in our life like teaching, like hospitality, like serving. I believe that the list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament are representative and not exhaustive. Mm. I believe there are many other things that the Holy Spirit would happily empower to serve his purposes and his people. But not everybody is spiritually gifted in everything. Sure. So we have we have limits there. Uh, there is a, a constellation of boundaries and limits that we experience in different seasons of life. So when I was when I was much younger and not married, in some ways I had more freedoms and fewer fewer limits in some areas of my life, but I was absolutely limited financially, I was limited in wisdom, I was limited in the amount of experiences that I have. Now that I'm in my mid 40s and uh, and I'm happily married and I've got uh, I've got kids and I've got one in college, I have different I have a different set of constellation of limits and boundaries in my life than I did 5 years ago, 10 years ago. They're different than what they're going to be 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so I I just bring this up to say it feels it feels like a very difficult project to me to try to list out all the different limits, uh, 
but we all have a variety of limits that we're navigating, and that doesn't necessarily say anything negative about us. It's just something that we have to live with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Romans 12 encourages us to embrace that as we acknowledge that we have different gifts given to us according to the grace of God. He, he, he intentionally gives us different gifts. He intentionally equips us in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we don't need to feel inadequate compared to someone else when their gifting is different than ours. Yeah. And acknowledging that as we're limited in this area where someone else might excel isn't in saying anything deficient about us. It's the beauty of how God's equipped us all differently. Absolutely. Now, we haven't yet got to the other side of the question, which is how does, how was it asked, how does the gospel speak into this? Um, yeah, how the gospel speaks freedom into these limits? Before we talk about the, the limits that we just talked about, let's, let's wade into a little bit more difficult conversation related to limits. Uh, Some people have limits in their life uh, because of sinful choices, Mm. right? Let's say, uh, let's say you lost your, uh, you lost your license uh, because of decisions that you made that were in violation of the law. Let's say you lost a relationship because of decisions you made in that relationship. Let's say you lost a job because of decisions that you made in that job. Let's say you are um, in the in the tyrannical grip of debt because of unwise financial choices. Now, not everybody who's in debt is in debt because they made um, foolish decisions. That's not what I'm saying, but there are people in debt because of, of foolish decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just just trying to acknowledge that there are limitations that are brought into us because of, because of sin. And then the ultimate limitation is this, is that we are spiritually dead, which does not mean that we are incapable of doing things, but it means that we are cut off from God and we are incapable of closing that gap. Mm-hmm. We are incapable of making our way to him, of doing what's necessary in order to be acceptable to him. And that had to be overcome by Jesus himself. It's not something that we could ever do. We are wholly dependent on him. How do I want to describe this? There's the there's the kind of the neutral limits, and then there are the non-morally neutral limits. And we have to navigate all of those. And the gospel speaks freedom to every single one of those. And to the ultimate limit that we just talked about, about being spiritually dead and cut off from God, um, Jesus fulfilled all of that for us. That is the good news of mm-hmm. the gospel, that he lived a life that we could never live. He died the death that we should have died. He proved his power to keep his promises through raising, uh, through rising from the dead. And all that is available to him is available to us simply by trusting in him. And he gives us his status and he makes us co-heirs with him by grace if we simply trust in him. Mm-hmm. Now, navigating the aftermath of immediate consequences of sin in our life or these other neutral limitations, the gospel speaks freedom to that as well. Here are a couple of things that that come to mind with me on that. We experience freedom when we happily obey his commands that relate to those areas. Let me use just a couple of examples. One, uh, in money, when you honor and obey the commands that you find in God's word related to money, you will find yourself avoiding senseless debt. Mm-hmm. There could be something devastated that that happens to you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience some sort of health crisis that puts you into debt that you didn't necessarily choose, but you're going to avoid what we can call senseless debt. Does that does that feel clear enough when I use, when I use that example? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's here's another one. How about uh, we have limits 
with our with our physical ability and our physical energy, when we honor Jesus, we experience, and we obey his commands, we experience rest by honoring things like Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. And you're teaching a class, yeah. or we're hosting a class yeah, very Wednesday soon nights. on Wednesday mm-hmm. night about that. I would encourage people, if they haven't signed up yet, to sign up for that. Mm-hmm. They might experience some tremendous benefits and you get more you get more freedom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how are we doing? Yeah. No, keep going. Okay. Keep going. Um, I want to remind people, it's hard for me. I'll do my best to describe it as you're listening. I love being able to illustrate it visually, but I think of it as a, a freedom triangle. And on one side, you have the things that we should do. On the other side, you have the things that we want to do. And on the third side, you have the things that we can do. Freedom is found in the intersection of all three Mm -hmm. of those things. When we try to live beyond what we can do, we're going to experience something less than freedom. I think we're going to experience a kind of slavery, a slavery of insecurity and adequacy. It's okay to acknowledge this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, and I'm going to live inside of what I can do. And this requires us to remember, hey, I'm enough in Christ. If I'm able to do more, that doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me more acceptable. It doesn't make me a better Christian. I'm enough in Christ. And if there's something that I can't do, I can acknowledge that and it has nothing to do with my value. There's tremendous freedom in that. We've really got to reckon with that. And here's another thing. When I recognize what I can't do, it reminds me that God can do all things. Mm. And I need to trust in him mm-hmm. and not my ability and my love affair with the illusion of control. Yeah, so we... how does the, the final message that you preached on 2 Corinthians 12 play mm-hmm. into this? Does that help too to bring some clarity here to the concept of limitations when we begin to identify our weaknesses so that God's power can shine yeah, through? Yeah, here I am. I'm not enough. Jesus is. Mm-hmm. I'm, listen, the 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 my life, my the things that, that I'm inadequate in, or the things that I'm not great at, uh, the things that I might look foolish at, the things where I'm obviously weak and I'm not able to accomplish as much as I would like to accomplish. I'm not kidding. You're, those things are cr- tremendous canvas for Jesus to display his strength. Think about the times that Paul wanted to be with a church, but he was physically prevented from going to visit Mm. people who he wanted to encourage. He had to navigate the reality of very real limits. Sometimes he was limited because he was getting beaten. Mm. Sometimes he was limited because he was in chains. Sometimes he was limited because he was under arrest and he couldn't go and do good things. And he discovered the sufficiency of Jesus's grace in those times. I think Paul, I, I don't think he's engaging in false humility. I think Paul had tremendous insights and revelation from God to share with us. But I think he was saying, guys, I'm not a good speaker. Hmm. No one is listening to me because of my style or my oratory abilities, but I have a message from God for you. He was limited in that regard. And yet we see how God used him massively. I mean, mm-hmm. religious and irreligious historians agree he's one of the top 15 most influential human beings in human history, mm-hmm. right? And so his life is a tremendous canvas for Jesus to display his strength. Ours can be as well. Let's trust him. Let's let's rest in that and let's trust his ability to do what we can't do. And I think there's joy in that. Yeah, we can learn a lot about emotional health from that example when mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing someone who didn't rally against his limitations, didn't didn't feel like it was something that made him inadequate. 
um, as being used by God, sure. but rather to be yep. a vessel through God. I want your help here because I I don't want to be too flowery and I don't want to engage. I, I don't want to. I don't want to do pastor speak or word okay. salad. I want to make sure that it's clear and that we're connecting to, to real life. So do you think we're doing that or do you think we need to dig in a little bit more with this? Well, so I think where it feels a little muddy at times is mm-hmm. is different kinds of limitations. Sure. You know, we, we identify there are some limitations that are just objective. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about it. It's, it's just from the natural world kind of limitations. Mm-hmm. There's other limitations that are self-imposed. There's others that are caused by sin. There's others that are caused by cultural mm-hmm. conditions, all of that. So there's not a one-size-fits-all w- approach to dealing with limitations. But uh, but I, I like the triangle, the, mm-hmm. the can-do, should-do, ought-to-do. Um, yeah. Help me out. I'm not sure I got that correct. But. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, the things that I should do, things that I want to do, and things that I can do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. When those three things line up, you have, you have freedom. So I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to live in freedom, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to have joy in that. Mm. So regardless of what the kind of limitations are, things that you choose, um, things that were chosen for you, things that are just the reality of living um, uh, in in a broken world or things that are a result of your, your own sin or things that are just the result of how God designed these things, obey Jesus, live in freedom, choose joy and trust. Let's transition to another question here. We okay. we got several uh, several good ones, and some of these are going to take us a little bit uh, deeper into how we how we engage the world around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person asks: As we seek to be good wrapping paper for people to get through to get to Jesus, which good plug for our series thesis there. Yeah. How do we respond to our changing culture that is becoming more accepting of abortion, women's right to choose, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, transgender, non-binary? Etc. How do we respond without sounding judgy? Hmm. That's a that's a good question. Right now, there's a there's some options before us that are getting a lot of airtime, and there are uh, politicians who are advocating for these options. There are well known um, and even beloved Christian leaders who are advocating uh, for these options, and these are options that I think that we need to look at seriously and then reject. Hmm. And the two options that I'm talking about uh, right now are fear and control. Mm. Um, right now, there are a lot of people who are trying to leverage fear around these issues with you. Please reject that. Absolutely reject that. And then the other is, if we could just get control, things would be better. I think human history proves that that's not true. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about fear. Because I'll say things like... Um, I'll say things like we shouldn't, we should not be afraid. But someone might say, "But wait a second, what if this thing happens? Wouldn't that be bad?" Absolutely. So, I mean, I've got kids. Let me talk from the perspective of a, of a parent. So, my daughter, who's in college, let's say she decided she doesn't want to follow Jesus and she's going to live a sexual lifestyle that's outside of the New Testament sexual ethic. Well, there's going to be pain in her life for that. There will be consequences for that. That would grieve me. That would bring my heart, break my heart. Um, there would be there would be real pain there. But I'm not going to live afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live. Um, believing and remembering that Jesus is enough, that he is sovereign, uh, that he is an authority over all things, and his way is best. And he made sure that I was told 
I think 365 <laughs> times in the Old and New Testament to not be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. And so there are people in my life who I love and care about. They could walk down a road that does not acknowledge. It's possible they could walk down a road that doesn't acknowledge the leadership of Jesus. And I think that there will be real hurt and harm for them in that. But I'm not going to live afraid of that. Okay, say more about that because that's something I've always been fascinated by because sometimes fear doesn't feel like a decision. Fear can feel like a reflex. So are are you speaking about that kind of thing or are you speaking about fear in a little bit broader context than that? Yeah. Sometimes it, I get you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I chose fear. Like it feels like fear chose me (laughs) and I've got, I've got anxiety. I've got worry and I'm playing out scenarios and and what if, but in that moment, I just got to stop. Well, well, what is, what does the truth tell me here? Mm-hmm. What does wisdom say here? Okay. What am I going to do? Um, and, and I know that there, there are the jokes, you know, you know, worry works because, you know, most of the things I worry about never happen. So clearly it's a good, <laughs> but hey, all right, well, let, let me, use, let me use another example. Let's say my son who's in high school, let's say he just decides that he's just going to be a horrible student. He's not going to study. And okay. If that happens, he could fail or it could, it could impact the kind of college he gets into, all of those kinds of things. Yes, there are real consequences related to that. And I can anticipate those consequences and I can grieve those consequences for him and I could grieve those things with him. But if I live in fear, then that means uh, essentially that I think I have to grab control of these things, that I have to take responsibility for all of these things. Otherwise, I'm not going to be okay. Mm. And I am promised that I am okay in Christ. That doesn't actually say it that way in the New Testament, <laughs> but I'm safe in Christ. Mm. I'm enough in Christ because of what he has done, not because of what what I do. And I think what we're doing is we are opting for fear instead of grief. And what we should do is simply grieve. Okay. So hang on to that. But now Mm -hmm. let's zoom out the the focus a little bit here because the person asking this question is asking a little bit broader about these different issues in our culture and our society. I use some very immediate examples. Let's apply the exact same thing to what's going on in our nation. I I read about the law that passed in Montana that it was voted down that uh, that, uh, infants um, you do not have to give them medical care if they're born alive, whether it's uh, after an attempted abortion or others. Those are grievous things that breaks my heart. Now, when I say I'm not going to live in fear, it's not. I'm not saying that I'm not concerned about what will happen to those children or the moms and dads and others who are connected to them and all who's in all who are involved in that. I grieve that. Mm. It breaks my heart. There's real sin. And if that is not repented of, not only is it going to not only is it going to bring ruin to the people who are engaging in it, it will ultimately result um, if they don't turn to Christ and them being forever separated from him. That grieves me. I have real concern about that. But I'm not living in fear. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. I'm safe in Jesus. He is the authority. I'm not trembling over these things. And one of the, the one of the people who've really influenced me to to try and to live in that tension is, is the, the Apostle Peter. He wrote in First Peter chapter two, uh, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Now, Peter wrote that to people who were being beaten because of their allegiance to Jesus. Mm. Peter wrote that to people who were being imprisoned. Peter wrote that to people who would sometimes have their property confiscated, and now they're living in poverty for no other reason than their faith in Jesus. Peter wrote that to people who would um, who would be killed, and sometimes in horrific ways, for the entertainment of the crowd, mm -hmm. simply because of their allegiance to Jesus. And he says to them, number one, if you're going to fight anything, Fight the sin that's in you, mm. because that's where the war is. It's your, it's our own battle with temptation. Now, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Maybe they will glorify God now, or maybe they will glorify God ultimately. Mm. But you live your life in such a way that you're going to help them glorify God whenever that time comes. Now, later in First Peter, he says this. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Bad things, it's not that bad things may happen. Bad things are going to happen. Mm. It's not that some of us may be mistreated for our faith. It's a guarantee. Some people are going to be mistreated for their faith. Don't live in fear. Mm. It's not a maybe there will be just heartbreaking consequences for sinful choices that happen personally and on a national level. It's there will be, but we're not going to live in fear. We're going to live as people who love Jesus, who trust in Jesus, and we're going to live a life that expresses love for him and love for others. And what fear will do is it will give us an excuse to try to control other people and hide from reality. We're not going to do that. We are going to live as lights, as city on the hill, and a world that desperately needs a savior. Mm. Do not buy the lie and the propaganda of, pop, of, of politicians. Not all politicians are bad, but the politicians who are trying to use fear. Do not buy the lie and the propaganda of prominent Christian voices who are using fear. They are accidentally or unintentionally pull, trying to pull us away from what it means to follow Jesus and be with Jesus in these moments. Mm. That's good. So I want to continue to circle around this mm -hmm. question here because uh, the, the person is asking how we approach these issues as our culture is increasingly accepting things that are outside of a New Testament or mm -hmm. an entire biblical ethic. Yeah. How can we engage other people without sounding judgy? So, so you've gone deep into mm -hmm. fear and how fear can result in mm -hmm. responding to other people in a way that comes across as being judgmental. But you also touched on control. Do you want to go a little yeah. bit more on the control aspect? Because that certainly seems to resonate with being judgy. Yeah. Now, what I'm not saying, when I say that, I'm not saying don't vote your conscience, right? Vote your conscience, vote for laws that you think are best, but we're not going to try and control people. Now, when it comes to this, I'm going to say something some, some people might say, is that pop psychology? No, it's just wisdom. Seek to understand before being understood. Mm. If there are people in your world who are they're living in a way that you say, man, they, they don't know Christ. They're living in a way that, that, 
that, that doesn't know all the freedom and love and joy that's found in Christ. What I want to encourage you to do is get to know them. Mm-hmm. Be a great friend. Ask questions because you want to better know and understand them. And I think this is what you're going to discover is they have reasons for why they're making the decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. And they have reasons for why they believe the things that they believe, right? Get to know those things and then relate to them at that level. Relate to them based on the things that are beneath that, that are driving that. Um, And so... Here, here's some ways. Here's some ways that I've done that. You might, some of you guys might recall uh, me saying something like this on a, on a previous episode. When I'm talking to somebody and they're living a sexual lifestyle that's way outside the New Testament sexual ethic, I just say things like, "Listen, I love you, and listen, I'm not, con- I, I'm not condemning you. I don't believe this is going to lead you to what you're looking for, mm. right? And so I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to make statements like that. And if they want to engage, we'll engage and we'll talk. If they don't want to talk, I'm not going to force that on them. I'm going to respect their dignity. If they say, I don't want to listen, or I don't want to talk about that. And sometimes they say it verbally. A lot of times they say it in other ways. I'm just going to respect that. And I'm going to pray like crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pray like crazy for them and trust that the Holy Spirit is far more capable than I am. And he's going to make a way, um, for us to be able to to engage in a more meaningful way. Um, I've certainly seen that where love washes judgmentalism away. Yeah. And yeah. when someone feels that you genuinely care about them, that you're interested in getting to know mm-hmm. them as a person, mm-hmm. that that tends to take judgy <laughs> out of the picture. Yeah. Get to get to know their story. And uh, now listen, we're not we're not going to compromise truth. We're not going to we're not going to dial down truth. But I want, Jesus came, John said this, in John chapter one, Jesus came full of truth and grace. I want to run on those two rails simultaneously. Mm -hmm. I don't want to compromise grace for the sake of truth. I don't want to compromise truth for the sake of grace. I want to hold on to both at the same time. And a lot of times it's going to sound like this. I love you. I don't think this is going to lead you to what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. I know it hurts you to hear me say that. I know, I know you want me to not just accept you, but to approve of this. I know, I know you don't want me to just to accept you. You want me to celebrate this thing. I can't. It doesn't keep me from loving you. I just can't celebrate that. And we could be talking about all kinds of things. You could fill in the blank with all kinds of different issues. I just don't think this is going to lead you to what you're looking for. So that's a helpful frame of reference for Mm -hmm. how we engage with individuals. Yeah. But is there a case where it is appropriate to judge Christians or pastors or churches that are maybe responding in a way that isn't sure. uh, in line with truth. There's a follow-up to this question, this person's question about how do we reconcile churches being open about same-sex marriages, even marrying people of the same gender in yeah. a house of God. Wouldn't this make God sad, and how can pastors justify this? Man, I, I feel like we need we need more time to to really to really dig in. Part of the part of the challenge is how are we understanding the word judge? When I hear the word judge or I use the word judge, it might be different from the way that someone listening is hearing or using the word judge. Um, I, when I was a pastor to high school students, they would say, "Hey, the Bible says we're not supposed to judge." I say, "You are absolutely right. Don't judge. We're not supposed to condemn. Um, that's not our place." But it is our job to make judgment calls. It is our job to make judgments or to use discernment. And the way that I would illustrate this with high school students, I would say, let's say your friend is your ride to and your ride home from a party. You didn't think this was going to happen, but your friend gets wasted at the party. And then they jump in the car and they're ready to drive home. Are you going to get in the car and ride with them? And they would say, no, I'm not. I said, 
So are you judging them? And then they, you, know, you see their <laughs> their teenage brains implode because they don't know how to respond. I say, yes, you are ju- you are making a judgment. You're using discernment. This is not wise. This is not good. This is not legal. This is not safe. And it is appropriate for you to make all of those judgments. You are not saying that person is not valuable. You're you're not making judgments about them. What you're making judgments about the behavior mm-hmm. and the consequences or outcomes related to that behavior. God is the one who judges people. We don't judge people. We don't judge the worth of people. We judge uh, and we use discernment related to uh, choices, behavior, and outcomes related to that. Related to that. When it comes to churches who are on different sides of uh, sexual ethics and uh, endorsing uh, homosexual behavior or transgenderism or other things, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with every believer who says we should be embracing and accepting of all people and loving them as the way that Jesus defines. Mm. I cannot stand shoulder to shoulder uh, with churches and leaders who says who would say, therefore, we need to approve of or celebrate those lifestyles as well. As I understand the New Testament, those are outside of God's designs. And so we have to communicate that truth, but we also have to communicate it with grace and with love. There are a variety of reasons why different churches or different Christian leaders get to the point on where they're on the opposite sides of the fence of me. I'm going to let them speak to that. I'm not going to speak to that. Um, but I think I'm convinced that if you take the New Testament seriously and you truly love people, you're going to honor what Jesus has made clear through his word, and you're going to tell the truth because every lie comes with a price tag. Mm. Well, I I personally find it uh, rather freeing Mm -hmm. and even liberating to have a mindset of being able to love people and trusting God to be God, <laughs> mm-hmm. and rather than us trying to navigate, how yeah. do I, yeah. um, how how do I let this person know that they're wrong? Mm-hmm. Let me let the Holy Spirit do that because mm-hmm. He does a better job of that than I ever will. Yeah. And and I can love them to the truth. I can bring them to Jesus. I can mm-hmm. I can uh, pray and model and and encourage them to follow Jesus and to apply. All, Jesus's uh, teachings, his commands, his That's wisdom, right. his beauty in all aspects of mm-hmm. their life, and mm-hmm. and let the Holy Spirit be the one who judges. I want to give people something to th- something to think about. Uh, be find yourself. Do what it's necessary to get to the place where you can say, "This is um, this is what this is what God has shared with us through His Word, and this is why I trust it. This is why I'm convinced." that this is worth trusting even when it confronts me. Hmm. When you're able to really talk about that in a clear way and in a gracious way, um, I think that I think you're better prepared to be able to talk to other people about things in their life that they might be wrestling with where God's word might confront them. So the role of the Holy Spirit leads to another question that was asked mm-hmm. uh, very specifically about the Holy Spirit. There was a, a message that you gave when we saw Jesus being led out into the wilderness, and it came out uh, quite uh, beautifully, and yet in somewhat of an intriguing way, that it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus out into the wilderness where mm-hmm. he encountered this temptation yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and discourse with Satan. So this person asked, how do we know if it's the Holy Spirit leading in our lives? 
Hmm. I don't know that I'm going to have an intellectually or an emotionally satisfying answer for anyone with this question. Oh, great. It's a, trem- <laughs> it's a, tre- it's a tremendous question. Uh, whoever asked this question, great question. Good on you for asking this question. Again, let me just say at the outset, I don't know that I'm going to have an emotionally or intellectually satisfying answer. Jesus is, Jesus is fully man and fully God. Um, he, listen, it, he wasn't confused that the Holy Spirit was leading him, but that, but how do we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit without, without confusion? First, let me just acknowledge this, that the, the number one tool of the Holy Spirit is truth. The number one tool that the Holy Spirit loves to use is God's revealed word. Uh, part of what the Holy Spirit does is to help us see that, better understand it, and apply it to our lives. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead us in something that would contradict God's revealed word. The Holy Spirit is praying for us even when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit is confirming for us and reminding us that we are not under condemnation, that we are beloved children of God. The Holy Spirit is a seal uh, protecting us. Um, I love the I, I love this quote, if you could lose your salvation, you would. <laughs> our ability to stay saved is not because of our moral performance. He locks us in mm. and is holding us until Christ uh, finally uh, returns. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, helping us to see see the areas in our life that we are disobedient or out of step with Christ so that we can happily turn and follow him. So all of these things, all of these things are, are, are some of the things, not all the things, but some of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing. Let me add what we said earlier, that he's empowering things in us so we can serve his purposes and, and, his, and his people. There are not any clear passages that say, this is how you know the Holy Spirit is leading you when you have to make a decision. Like, who to marry, where to move, what job to take, all of those kinds of things. There are plenty of times in the New Testament where it said the Holy Spirit said, but it doesn't but that doesn't describe what that process was like hmm. and how people understood that. It just it it's just not described. Hmm. And so we're left basically speculating, but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of clarity there. And the ways that God uh, directly communicated uh, to people, especially in the Book of Acts and throughout the throughout the New Testament, it's not that many times. It's we've got some visits by angels, we got the Holy Spirit communicating, and we've got we've got dreams. Um, but this is these are vastly in the minority. The normal experience is to uh, respond to God's word with wisdom and trust the Holy Spirit and helping us to better see how to do that, not necessarily specific instructions. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, but there's something we're going to have to wrestle with. How am I going to know the difference between my own thoughts and feelings from the voice of God. Mm-hmm. There is nothing anywhere in the New Testament that explicitly states or even implies that the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us through a voice in our head that sounds like our own voice, <laughs> or that he communicates to us through our thoughts, or that he communicates to us through our emotions. There's, there's There are no passages that talk about that. And so this is one of the reasons that I'm just going to say, I don't know that my answer is intellectually or emotionally satisfying. I know that God wants to communicate to us uh, through his word, the Holy Spirit is active in that, helping us to see how to apply that. And yet, there are experiences, there are things that happen that I don't totally know how to explain, I just trust God with it. So let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, not too long ago, I was um, I was angry. I was white hot with anger. You ever get so angry, you're like, I don't think I trust myself right now. <laughs> I feel like I could do some 
pretty mm. dumb things right mm-hmm. now. I was having that kind of day. It's very rare. It's very rare, but I was having that day. Um, within minutes, within minutes, two pastors who were friends of mine from two different states texted me and said, how you doing? Hmm. Just want to check in and make sure you're okay. And one of them, one of them said, I just, I just felt like, I just felt like the Holy Spirit laid you in my heart and I wanted to check in mm. with you. And one guy I texted back and I said, man, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a kind of a vulnerable spot right now. He immediately called me. We talked through it. It was mm. so encouraging. And then the other guy, I texted back and I said, man, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is using me, using you to speak to me right now. And he said, I'm getting ready to get up and teach a class right now at my church. And I just felt like I, I just felt like I was being led to text you right now wow. and to see how you're doing. And all the anger went away hmm. and I felt calm and I felt clear headed and I felt tremendously loved by God. That's beautiful. Now, how do I, what passage in the New Testament can I point to that we could read, that we could exegete together that describes that this is what the Holy Spirit does? I don't know of one. Mm-hmm. But I believe that's one of the things that he does. Yeah, and yet that's very consistent with the fruit of the Spirit. Sure. For those who want a little bit more clarity on that, I'm in the same boat as you. I want more clarity. This is the best that I have, and I acknowledge that it may not be intellectually or emotionally satisfying. Does the the lack of black and white clarity in the role of the Holy Spirit, do you think that speaks to why maybe it's a, a more neglected member of the Trinity? It's a little bit easier to identify with Jesus than it is to identify with the Spirit, and is that why we don't uh, spend as much focus on the work of the Spirit? I think it's one of the reasons, and I think it's tragic. I think taking Jesus seriously means coming to this conclusion, it's better to have the Holy Spirit within us than Jesus in front of us. Um, That seems to be the message that he was giving giving to his disciples who were with him face to face guys it's better for you that I go mm. you're going to have the holy spirit right mm. i mean this is this is amazing but i think one of the reasons that it's downplayed especially in my background um, and maybe in the backgrounds of people who 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 can relate to me is fear mm. because there are ways that the holy spirit has been used as a license to engage in what we might call regrettable behavior um in, in the in, in religious practice. And so out of a fear of not engaging in things like that, um, that, that maybe he's been downplayed. And hmm. So that might be a subject uh, for another time, yeah. another episode. Sounds like we could do a whole episode on the Holy Spirit. Sure. Make oh, a note of that for the we future. Could do a, we could do a series on the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, sermon series. I would, there's this sermon series that I want to do called Ghosted. <laughs> You know, and the thing that it, it might be out of date now, uh, but uh, when you're when you're ghosted, someone just they they're not around anymore. They're not talking uh-huh. to you, and and it could under it could be Jesus isn't here with us right now, and so he he left, and so uh, the the first disciples I could understand that they could feel like you're not going to be here, Jesus. Are you ghosting us? <laughs> but then you know, also tapping into uh, especially in the King James version, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the as the Holy Ghost, and just emphasizing how amazing He is, the beautiful role that He plays in our life, and how dependent we are on Him. I would. Oh, I love it! I want you to do that. We'll do it eventually. That'd be a great series. We'll do it eventually. Well, let's do one final question here. Mm -hmm. Um, This person says, we want to love people well, 
But how can we be supportive and encouraging when friends or family members drift away from the church? And that's certainly something that we saw happen in this COVID era. And and many people have come back, but there are some people that their their lives are changed, their routines change. Maybe families are focused on kids' sports schedules, um, different things like this. This person is saying. I know these people are good people and we want them to be part of our church family. How do we how do we engage with people who have drifted away from the church? All right, let me give some rapid fire answers because we're coming up on our hard stop and uh, this might we, this might be something that we need to come back to in the future. Uh, number one, love people the way that you want to be loved. So engage them with the same dignity and respect and kindness that you would want to be engaged on. Now imagine that there's somebody on the other side of you and they see you as having drifted. What is how? What would be the best way to engage mm-hmm. you? What would be the best best way to, to love you? How would you feel respected and honored and lovingly engaged with um, in that? So kind of play play through that. Mm-hmm. The second thing, uh, make sure you understand what why what, what's happened. You know, uh, really take time to understand the reasons for doing something different. A lot of times, it's more than what we can see on the surface, and it takes more than one conversation. And listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. When someone asks me about something, I'll give them a truish answer, but the but the real the real answer is down beneath that, and it just takes time to dig down. And so, be patient, be loving, be a great friend, be a great family member, be a great neighbor, be a great coworker, whatever. Um, be interested, be interested mm. in them. Be the kind of person that leaves no room for doubt. That you're safe to be honest with, that you really want to know, and that and that it's safe. Mm. It's safe to be honest, all right? And then here's, um, here's another thing. Passion is contagious. If there's something that you're excited about, something that you're passionate about, if there's something you're really enjoying in your church, be eager to... To, to share that, right? Mm-hmm. It's say, I mean, you can use me as an excuse all the time. You could say, hey, you know that thing we were talking about the other day? My pastor talked about that. I would, <laughs> I would, I would love to know what you have to what you have to say about mm-hmm. what he said. Mm-hmm. I would really be curious of what your response is. Not, hey, I want to get you to agree with him, but I'm curious what you would say because mm-hmm. he went kind of out there and he talked about this thing. What's your response, right? And so if I'm doing my job well, and if God in his grace uh, chooses to use what we're doing, the Holy Spirit will be at work in that, and we can we can, we can can trust that, mm. right? And so um, those, are, those are a couple of things. Um, be loving, um, be incredibly interested, and seek to understand and be safe. And uh, passion is contagious. I like it. Yeah. Good answers. Well, Rick, thank you for taking this time to answer questions from the congregation. I always enjoy uh, watching you answer things even on the fly. You've got a quick mind for that and appreciate your insights and your wisdom in these. Let me just say to, to those who, who submitted these questions or those who have questions similar to this, there is no way that I can do justice to your question in this conversation. It's okay for it to be a journey. It's okay to keep sending us um, emails and asking more questions. And it's okay to start grabbing books and really uh, really digging in or um, are, are listening to other uh, other pastors there are tremendously gifted brilliant Jesus loving people out there mm-hmm. who will be helpful in this it doesn't have to be just one conversation but hopefully this was a helpful step on the journey yep thank you 
So we're going to take a little break from the podcast now over the next few weeks, mm-hmm. over the holidays. Uh, Christmas is kind of a busy time in the church world. And, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is busy. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not, yeah. Not really a break from yeah. ministry. It's just going to be a break from the podcast for That's a little right. bit. And uh, I look forward to, to being back here recording more episodes. And That'll be in year. January. That'll mm-hmm. be in January. So we'll see you all in 2023.